Hello everyone, my name is Dr. Fergal Armstrong and welcome to this episode of Cracking Addiction. And once again, we have the good Mr. Stephen Hurd. Hello, Stephen. Hi, Fergal. Good evening. Good evening. How are you? you? I'm very well. So in the previous episode of uh, Cracking Addiction, we spoke about how alcohol intersects with family violence from the point of view of the perpetrator of family violence. I wonder if we could address how alcohol intersects with the victim of family violence in this episode. Mm. What, what would you? What, what are your initial thoughts on that issue? Oh, things like uh, victim blaming come up, mm-hmm. um, puts herself in the wrong position. Mm-hmm. Uh, she shouldn't be drinking. Um, it's a man's demand. She shouldn't be drunk. Even for sake. Yeah. Um, uh, so they're the kinds of things that the overlay of what a, of a woman, what a mother should be, really sort of jumps out as my initial bias. Um, however, however, the what we're really talking about is not her drinking and what she does, but it's about the experience she has in a relationship mm. when she's drinking mm. and what that might mean. And, and I think we've intimated previously too that... Uh, that her drinking in a family violence context, not in all contexts, all relationships, um, uh, could be as a, as a result of coping with uh, family violence that's been experienced or she's experiencing on an ongoing yeah. basis. Yeah. And that might have just sort of crept into into her behaviours um, over many, many years um, in, in alliance with her partner, perhaps, uh, socially, or... Uh, developed separately in order to numb the pain, numb the isolation, numb the uh, dehumanisation that can be caused by family violence. And also, I suppose you need to think about um, the the fact that alcohol and drugs can be used as a form of coercion. So, you know, perpetrators can can force their partners into alcohol and drug use. And in particular, with regards to drug use, that then can become can become an extension of that of, of control over the victim. So you know, if you don't do what I say, I'm not going to get you the drugs to use, or I'm not going to buy you the alcohol to use, I'm not going to give you the money to to buy the drugs or the alcohol. So, it there there are some situations whereby victims have been forcibly introduced to substance use disorder as a form of control. So there's a flip side. So on the one hand, it's about coping, but on the other hand, it's about forcibly developing a dependency and therefore being vulnerable to control. Yeah, that's exactly right too. Um, in more sort of later later years, there's been a topic called substance use coercion. Substance use coercion, exactly. As a, as a subset of uh, family violence behaviours. Yeah. And again, if we consider family violence uh, perpetration, um, as a set of opportunistic sort of skills, strategies, yeah. then this is another one yeah, that we haven't actually mentioned yeah. directly. Mm. Um, certainly when when the, the victim we have um, uses substances, whether it's alcohol or cannabis or ice or yeah. whatever else, yeah. and the examples you portray are really, really common. There was a, there was a study done uh, mid 2010s, 2014, 15, mm-hmm. um, in England, I think. Um, and they 
came up with four, four separate categories. Uh, the methodology was to ask uh, women who rang in for a family violence service, um, what have you been in your experiences around um, uh, substance use mm-hmm. and how that's impacted you? And in each, each of about four different categories, about a quarter of the women said things like, uh, yeah, I've, I've, uh, I've had my substance use um, controlled by my partner, either mm. given too much or, or withheld, mm. exactly as you say. Or uh, I, um, when I went to seek treatment, they uh, sabotaged it. Yeah, that's another issue, isn't it? We, 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 it's a huge issue. It's, it's access to treatment. Absolutely. And, yeah. and probably more, more to the point, and perhaps where I might, we might, might want to explore a bit more, is uh, my substance use might be used against me. Indeed. By my partner. I might tell, or my partner might tell social services that I'm using substances so that you know, I have the threat of having my children removed from me. Exactly. Or, exactly. or my partner might even tell my employer about my substance use, so I might lose my job, therefore I lose my financial independence. Or my, sub, my, my partner will, uh, here's another one, my partner is going to uh, intoxicate me, and I use that verb as a transitive verb. My, 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 my partner is going to intoxicate me to the point where I am no longer capable of actually arranging my escape or my, you know, I'm not able to enact any escape plan. I, I don't have the, the money or the, the cognitive ability to actually reach out to services to actually get help and, and, and develop methodologies to either to stay safe or to generate an escape. It's, it's not surprising that a lot of women who come for AID treatment, yeah. probably especially in the illegal substances, yeah. are fearful of calling the police. Absolutely. Yeah, and, so that's, what, and, and that and that that fear stigma uh, yeah. might exist outside of a relationship, mm. but it can most definitely be used against them by their partner. Yeah. Are you? What is the the view of or how how do police uh, manage in Victoria, for instance, that issue? You know, do 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 they view the users of substances in the context of a family violence scenario as victims or as or as People have broken the law. Oh, listen, I wish I had really good information on that. Mm-hmm. I, really, I really wish I had a good understanding of what happens. Yeah. What, what, I, what I, I would like to think happened and what I hear happens yeah. is that victims are heard. They are uh, or they are not heard, sorry. They, they are heard. They are heard, right. However, that's not reflected in what I hear victims say. What do victims say in your experience? Victim, victims say uh, they might have been drunk. Um, there was an argument. Their partner called police. He's treated as a victim. Her drunkenness is treated as her being uh, hysterical, incoherent, mm-hmm. and not worth, and probably not worth talking to. Mm-hmm. And so they get his side of the story. And that's that's also another very interesting uh, issue, isn't it? The fact that perpetrators are very good at presenting themselves as victims, and we know, and, that, and that's got a label in itself. Tell um, me that label. Well, it's called the victim stance. The victim stance. Now, here's a question for you. Change world. Yeah. Um, 
us men are good at presenting ourselves as victims and viewing the world very uh, egocentrically yeah. and sensing and reporting uh, how the world impacts me. Yes. Which buys into my, my um, entitlement that the world owes me. And therefore, when I don't get what the world owes me, I become the victim. Absolutely. Yeah. And that becomes my narrow focus. Yeah. So whatever I do to counteract that, I can justify. Yeah. Because the world owes uh, me. And, I can, and, uh, and then when we translate that to family violence, it's, it's my partner owes me. Yeah. Uh, it's my partner knows those behaviours she does, um, triggers me. Push yeah. my buttons. It's her fault. And it's her fault. She knows what buttons I need to, what I don't want to be pressed. Yeah. And she then made when, me do it. And then when substances are involved, mm. it, compli it complicates the picture for us as outsiders mm. more so. Yeah. And that's what I think we need. We need as um, treating teams, clinical teams, mm. to, re to really look through the, the smoke screens and the um, obfuscation and the blame shifting yeah. critically and critically I, critically I'm really that's code for uh, using a gendered family violence lens now that's a you're, you're absolutely right but I'm going to throw a spanner in the works we yes I fully acknowledge that family violence is a gender issue and I fully acknowledge that AOD is an issue in family violence as we were discussing but here's a question what is the percentage of family violence that is perpetrated by a woman on a man? Do you know? I think any numbers in an intimate partner relationship. Yeah. It's in the single digit percentage. It's in the single digit, but it's not zero. No. It's not zero, right? Well, it's not zero. It's not so, zero. No, and it does happen. It does happen. It's rare, but it does happen. So we've just had a conversation about victim stance, right? We've just had a conversation in which we've agreed that the perpetrators of family violence are very clever and very good at portraying themselves as the victim, and especially in the context of AOD, where oh, my partner's drug affected, she's lost her marbles, she's she's become violent and agitated, and look at me, I'm the victim, I'm calling the police because I don't want to touch her because she, the police have got to control her, therefore she's the perpetrator and I'm the victim. Knowing that the, that the, 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 the prevalence of family violence perpetrated by women on men is not zero, how do you make the distinction between those who are genuine victims and those who are doing victim stancing? I guess, I guess my, my professional judgment is then to say, the person in front of me, yeah. I've, got one, I've got one person in front of me, my, my client in front of me, yeah. and me, is to, in order to get to that point of accepting he's a victim, there is a lot of hoops to go through, a lot of barriers, a lot of, lot of checks and balances, so to speak. Yeah. How does he talk about the partner? Mm. Um, it, it, it's, it, it's really navigating my way through. And I guess what drives me is uh, the risk of me being wrong or the, or the impact of me being wrong, uh, if, I, if I believe his victim stance, just allow me to get my negatives worked out here, if I believe his victim stance, 
the potential for me to do harm is far greater than if I don't. Yeah. Does that, does that make sense? Does that... Totally, totally. Because it's a really difficult issue. But for me, I, I, I agree with you totally in that regard. But for me, the other key thing is where is the power in this relationship? Oh. When you've got him talking about it? That's right. That's right. One thing, one thing men... Now, this probably isn't zero either. But the other thing we haven't talked about in all this family violence stuff is the level of fear. Yeah. If you've, if you've got two people in a relationship and no, no one's scared of each other, mm-hmm. mate, well, and they're in conflict, yeah. well, then perhaps there's, perhaps there's a problem. Or perhaps there's, it's not family violence, it's just violent conflict. You we can almost say that that's appropriate conflict if it's two, between two equals. It's hard, it's hard to know how to express that in, uh, in, uh, in real, real terms. But, but let, let's go back to the definition of family violence where there is a power and control. So there is an inherent power imbalance, isn't there? Mm. So that's, what's, that's what defines family mm. violence. Yeah, and, and there's fear on the other side. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, the, next, that's the next criteria. And, and I think you've talked about that in a really eloquent way to say that women are, are fearful of their, their partner killing them. Yeah, whereas men are fearful yeah. of? Of being laughed, laughed at. at. Yeah. And, you know, and those two outcomes are just so different. They are. But they can't, they can't be equated. Yeah. So, so that level of fear, you know, like, like, like a woman when... Um, I don't like speaking for it on a woman's on, on a woman's um, experience because I'm not I'm not a woman. But what I hear women say now, the amount of planning that they subconsciously have trained themselves to go through for when they go out, what they wear, mm-hmm. how they know how to interact with somebody, um, making sure that the places are lit that they go to, yeah. um, being with other people, whole lot of things that me as a man who walks this, walks down the street. Uh, well, I'm oblivious to you. Yeah. I've, I've needed to train myself to be worried about my safety on a moment-by-moment basis when I go out, Yeah. even even when I'm staying at home. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm oblivious to that, and I'll always be, as I'm a man. So uh, let's, let's go back to this issue of how alcohol intersects, or sorry, alcohol and drugs intersect with the victim. I mean, I think... You know, we're, we, are, we are approaching this issue from the lens of being part of providing services to, to victims. I think it's really important to emphasize that, you know, when you, when you work in our industry, you've got to believe the victim's story and you've got to see through the, the labels of, oh, you know, the, the pejorative labels like, oh, she uses alcohol or she uses drugs or she's, she, she lost her mind because she was drug affected. All of those pejorative labels that you might hear, you've got to cut through all of that and you've got to see to the core of the issue where there is a victim in front of you who has got a medical condition that needs help both on a medical level and on a psychosocial level. You can't be colored. You can't let your. You cannot lose your compassion. You, you, you make me think of a recent example that you were involved in, uh, which was an extremely compassionate. Well, we would like to think it's an everyday compassion. 
Mm. But it's taken a long time to get there. It yeah. has to do with refuges. Yes. And how refuges can bar women who use substances from seeking refuge. Now, that yeah. I didn't know. So well, you... uh, well, well, well I, I found out a little bit more the other day. But, uh, All right. That it used to be the case that women with substance use issues used to be able to attend refuges, which is what you'd think would would happen, and then yeah. and they'd be catered for, managed, and, and provided service, and mm. catered for and their needs, catered for. However, that changed in the last ten years or so. Really, uh, in what way? I understand. In what way they became uh, a risk to the refuge. So being substance affected then became a barrier to getting refuge to escape having yeah, having the need to maintain substance use. Right. Uh, and being in contact with their dealer's partner yeah. who then deliver substances yeah. um, uh, to a, a refuge. And, mm -hmm. and the last thing a refuge wants is to have their location identified. Yeah. And it put the entire household into, um, into risk. So it, it was sort of a, a black banning. Mm. Which is but a now, barrier to services both on, on so many levels, isn't it? So many levels. Yeah. And, and that's a, and that's the common that's a common thing for women seeking services not being believed by police because yeah. they're hysterical, yeah, or overstating the mark, or your partner doesn't look like he could be a perpetrator of family mm. violence, based on those sort of individual bias uh, rationale. Yeah. But then, we're all people. We're we are all subject to the same foibles. Um. And we've got to remember too that because substances might be involved, that doesn't mean family violence is going to be involved either mm. with a lot of our clients. So really, you know, if, if we're working in the AOD sector, we need to be all the more agile in the way that we deliver services to the victims of family violence, lest our lack of agility becomes a barrier to treatment which then leads to an unavoidable death. That's how I look at it. Well, that's right. That's right. And you've gone straight to the, uh, the real critical aspect of both uh, substance use and family violence, that um, mm. death is uh, the ultimate uh, potential outcome. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you, you, I want to sort of pursue something you just said a little while ago regarding how we want to believe our clients, believe their stories. Mm. And I guess, I guess I was thinking about this earlier today. When I talk about family violence, I think I default to talking about victims. Mm. Um, and, and that can assist communication. It can be, it, it can get in the way of communication by having that unspoken sort of default. However, what we want to do with our, with our clients is We've been working with perpetrators of family violence for a long time as well. Yeah. Uh, recognised or unrecognised. They've mm. slipped through because it's nothing's been disclosed or it's not part of it's not part of my remit. Yeah. As a worker to identify. Because what what we want to do is is also treat our clients with unconditional positive regard. And when it comes to female victims of family violence, yes, we believe them and believing them is really, really important. Mm. When it comes to a, a male who presents, and as we've talked about, as a, with the victim stance, how does that then impact me when I try and believe him, knowing the evidence is that he's probably not telling us the truth? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I approach this from the view that I am not there to collude with him. I'm there to help him with his AOD issues. And I'm there to refer him to an expert, dare I say, like your good self. <laughs> you know, I, 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 I'm not there to tackle the issues of, you know, laying blame on, 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 on men who use family violence and who need AOD help. I'm, I am there, I'm committed to their care in terms of the AOD, but I'm fortunate that I work in an organization where, you know, there is that expertise at a, at a different level to help me. And the skills we develop in identifying that and motivating that particular mm. client to actually seek help yeah. are invaluable. Yeah. Uh, knowing that uh, men in general don't ask for help that, that easily. No, I, don't don't. I don't identify the problem that easily. So how we can assist them to do that is a fantastic skill set. And on that sweet note, we're going to have to end it, Steve. Thank you so much for your time. That's all for today, folks. My name is Dr. Fergal Armstrong, and this has been Cracking Addiction. Yeah.